Morning, everybody. Please turn to Acts chapter 3. Or turn your Bible, turn in your electronic device, or turn your attention to the screen. We will have the text up here in a moment. Luke wrote this uh, two-volume account of the life and ministry of Jesus, in particular to encourage believers who were losing heart and certainty in the power of the gospel. Uh, The opposition around them, remaining sin within them, uh, apparently seemed so overwhelming that their hope was waning. And the reason that we're giving our attention to the book of Acts is so that if you are tempted to lose heart because the gospel seems to have minimal effect on uh, restraining the power of remaining sin, or you feel discouragement when you notice that brokenness in your world seems to be prevailing, or you've essentially thrown in the towel when it comes to praying for breakthroughs in spiritual areas where there's just nothing going on. Or perhaps you've stopped witnessing because it seems no one's ever saved. Or you observe the cultural landscape and it just feels like, you know, you, you very well truly might be the, th- this could be the last Christian generation in our country. That the gospel has simply run its course. Or a lot of other things. Uh, if, if, if that's what you can identify with, well then the message of the book of Acts is for you. Luke wrote so that we might have blazing certainty in the power of the gospel. Luke wrote so that we might be aware of and encouraged, not simply by all that Jesus began to do and to teach, but that we might know and experience all that Jesus continues to do and to teach through us, his people, by the empowering presence and activity of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is far from having run its course. Eyes have not yet seen, ears have not yet heard all that Jesus is doing and will continue to do until the day he comes again in the same way he went into heaven. Luke wrote so that we might know with certainty that Jesus is not done and that we're not done And that the Holy Spirit is not done doing all he will do. So, we're going to give our attention today to Acts chapter 3. It's a long chapter and there's a lot in it and I'm not going to be able to deal with everything adequately. I, I, I was even thinking earlier this morning that maybe we need to revisit this again next week. We'll see how that goes. But, But for now... Um, I want to invite you to follow along. I'm, I'm going to read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, the first half of verse 20. Here's the word of the Lord. Now, uh, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, 
that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this were witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. that our sins may be blotted out and so that times of refreshing may come 
from your presence by, through, the activity, the working, the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, for a prior gift. We're trusting you for another gift. We're trusting you for the gift of faith. We're trusting you for the gift of repentance. You have said in your word, does he who supplies us with the Holy Spirit and work miracles among us do so by works of the law or by hearing your word with faith? Lord, you supply the Spirit through hearing your word with faith. And you work miracles by your Spirit through hearing the word with faith. Jesus, you are the author of faith. Faith begins in you, and so we turn to you and ask for more deeper, stronger, intentional ability to really entrust ourselves to you, to take hold of you, to be joined to you. And repentance is a gift from you, O God. You grant it. It's something granted. And so we ask that you would grant it today. Let it fall, that gift fall on many here right now by your Holy Spirit so that sins may be blotted out and a powerful, discernible season of refreshing joy, pleasure in all that you are for us might come from your very presence. And may that come, Lord, so that we might be witnesses of these things. Have mercy on us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 34 years ago today, Lori and I were married in Honolulu, Hawaii. And um, two weeks before our wedding, we had, uh, we had three college friends travel to Hawaii with me uh, so that we could spend some time together on the island before the wedding. I, you know, I, I had graduated from a Christian liberal arts college with a Bible major. I had spent, um, I'd spent two summers in Japan as a short-term missionary. I had already at that point completed three years of seminary and had served during those three years as a ministry intern in a local church. And here's why I mention that. For two weeks prior to our wedding, my friends uh, who traveled with me and I, we, we encountered something. We encountered a spiritual community the likes of which we had never seen before. Th these, um, this group, this group of young college age, young adults, um, 
that were part of Lori's home church, they, they devoted themselves to hearing and obeying God's word. Uh, it, it seemed to us as, that, as though they were always together. We're constantly eating something. Every day somebody had a guitar and there were, there was these spontaneous outbreaks of singing praise songs to Jesus. Uh, if something needed to be done, I mean, a couple people get in their car, run off, and it would be done. And day and night, people were serving one another, praying for one another, caring for one another, playing at the park or the beach with one another. I had never seen, I've been to beaches before and played, but, and eaten and so forth, but, but I had just never seen or experienced a group that vibrant before. And it was so compelling. Um, not only compelling to me and my mainland friends, but um, before the month that Laurie and I had spent in Hawaii was over, her youngest brother, he, who had been hanging out with us pretty much that whole time, he made a profession of faith in Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, chapters 1 to 3, it's clear that Luke means for us to see that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for witness. And when the gift of the Holy Spirit falls on and fills a group, that group is a witness. Now I want to encourage you with something. Um, so three weeks ago yesterday, we celebrated our son Josh's wedding. And for a week prior to the wedding, interestingly to us, the parallels here, six of Josh's high school friends from Hawaii came to spend time with him, along with six of Lori's family members from Hawaii, as well as three of Josh's buddies from college days in Indiana. And, and one of Lori's brothers, the brother who had been really a part of that vibrant spiritual community in Hawaii 34 years ago. He, he, he came here for the, for the wedding very dry, um, profoundly empty, um, and overwhelmed with unresolving troubles on the home front. Uh, two years ago, he, he, he left our old church and... Um, um, began worshiping at a, at a growing church closer to his house. And, and, he, and he's found a group of, uh, of guys with whom he experiences some life. And, but during the week of Josh's wedding, uh, he, he watched the bachelor party bonfire with about 20 guys mainly from Emmaus Road Church. Uh, he witnessed the wedding ceremony and reception. Um, he worshiped with us in this meeting three Sundays ago. And the day he left, he said to me, the way the people of Emmaus Road Church are intertwined, that's the word he used, intertwined, is like nothing I've seen in the two years uh, at, at my new church home. Um, the encounters that I've had with, with not very many, but a few people have been more life-giving than anything I've experienced in a long time. So, my dear friends, uh, 
the fullness of Jesus overflowing from you together was a deep drink of living water for at least one famished soul. And mission is what happens when the gift of the Holy Spirit fills a spiritual community and then overflows through a spiritual community. Jesus means for us together to be like, kind of like a river delta in our city, spreading the life-giving fullness of the pleasure that God feels in the person and saving work of his son to a dry and a weary and hopeless people. That's what we looked at last week in Acts 2, 42 to 47. And that is the context, the very context for us to move into Acts chapter 3. Because you see, what happens in Acts chapter 3 is the gift of the Holy Spirit spilling out of a spiritual community for the sake of witness. Or we might say that mission is the overflow of the gift of the Holy Spirit as it fills a spiritual community. So last week we noted that what we see in Acts 2, 42 to 47, it, it's not intended to be some tactical plan for building a successful growing church. It's not meant to serve as some consumer guide for the best deal on a satisfying church. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 is a description of what happens. It's a description of what happens when a group of people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit together. The presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit, it, it produces things. It produces this love for and submission to the authority of the Spirit-inspired teaching of the apostles. The Spirit inspires lay down your life love for one another. The Spirit inspires hospitality. Spirit inspires generosity. The group is marked by Spirit-inspired praise, spirit-inspired prayer. In other words, when a group is full of the life of Jesus, they look a lot together like Jesus. <laughs> and so it only makes sense that if the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is also the promise of being a witness, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses. Well, then when the gift of the Holy Spirit falls on and fills a group, that group is a witness of Jesus. They are a, hmm, let's call it a missional community. And that is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 3. Fullness overflowing in witness. And Luke means for us to see this. And there is a second thing that Luke means for us to see, specifically in Acts chapter 3. The, the events of Acts 3 follow the same pattern as the events of Acts chapter 2. The same thing that began Acts chapter 2 is the same thing that happens in Acts chapter 3. Both chapters begin with a, a miraculous sign. 
In Acts chapter 2, that miraculous sign is the the miracle of spirit-inspired speech, particularly the ability to speak of the mighty works of God in languages not previously known by those speaking. In Acts chapter 3, it's another remarkable miracle, and that is the healing of a man uh, of whom Luke goes to great pains to show us that that he had been been lame uh, from birth. He was born this way. His feet and ankles were useless to him. He had never walked in his life and everybody knew it. But now, and Luke repeats this for emphasis, the once lame man is walking and leaping. That would get about as much attention as hearing people praising God in other languages that they never knew before. So, That's the first thing that happens. The next thing that happens in both chapters is that this miraculous event, this sign, is attributed to the work of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2 verse 33, it says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... Now, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is the one who has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus is doing this. Jesus is making this miraculous thing happen. In Acts chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, notice what Peter says. He said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? <laughs> Dumb question. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's obvious why we're wondering. No. Uh, why do you, s- this is the point. Why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety, we have made him walk? Jesus Jesus, the one whom you delivered over and denied and you killed. Jesus, the one whom God raised from the dead. It's his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all. Who did it? Jesus did it. So there's the pattern. You have a miraculous sign, and that sign is attributed to the person and the ministry of Jesus. And then, the next thing that happens in each chapter is a sermon. There's a proclamation of the gospel. and Peter preaches the Bible, and he exposits and he explains how the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, he's preaching from the Psalms. In Acts chapter 3, the summary... uh, Luke records is so sweeping with references. I mean, if you, if you were to look up all the references uh, in this sermon in, in Acts 3, it, it's, it's all over the Old Testament. Pentateuch, prophets, everywhere. Beginning in verse 13, 
he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, but you denied the holy and righteous one, which is an Old Testament reference, and you killed the author of life, another Old Testament reference, whom God raised from the dead. I know you acted in ignorance as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So, so each chapter begins with a miraculous sign, an explanation that it's the risen and living Jesus who's the one who's doing this miraculous sign, followed by a sermon pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of the entire expectation storyline of Scripture, culminating in, in the necessity of Jesus as a killed as a killed sacrifice for our sins. And then each chapter, each account ends the same way. That is with an appeal for our response. And notice how similar they are. In Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, at the end of the second sermon, repent therefore, turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that's forgiveness of sins, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's Luke doing? What, what is, what's the author doing by setting forth these two stories parallel with a little interlude in between which is this glorious picture of supernatural spiritual community? These, these two accounts... It, just the exact same pattern. Here's what I think he's doing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke says, in the first book, it's the gospel of Luke, I, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then in Acts 1.8, Luke recounts Jesus' amazing promise, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then after the coming of the Holy Spirit, after the fulfillment of that promise, Luke recounts in chapters 2 and 3 these, these two remarkable incidents with this repeated pattern of miraculous sign, sermon, Appeal for a response. And, and, the, and the point I believe that Luke is driving home is this. Jesus, the Son of God, continues his ministry through the people of God by the power of the Spirit of God. The Son of God continues his ministry. It has not ended Jesus is a continuationist. And he does this continued ministry through the people of God by the power of the Spirit of God. Now this is very crucial. It's very crucial for every disciple of Jesus in this room. 
It's crucial because though it's quite common for people to know the truth of Jesus, nevertheless, it is tragically rare for people to ever feel deeply the truth of Jesus. That is, most people have seen the truth of Jesus with the eyes of their minds, but they've never felt the truth of Jesus through the eyes of their hearts. That's what we landed on last week. Those two things are completely different. But when the latter happens, when we feel the truth of Jesus, the people of God become witnesses of the Son of God and carry on, in Jesus' name, the ministry of the Son of God. So a, f- a few weeks ago, there was a group of Emmaus Road folks that, that attended a, a weekend training seminar called Healing on the Streets. And the whole premise of this Healing on the Streets uh, is essentially what we're seeing and hearing in Acts chapters 1 to 3. People of God offer prayer for folks who need healing and and through the power of the Spirit of God under the, I, I would say, the umbrella of the sovereignty of God, Jesus, the Son of God, continues his ministry. And, and healing... Healing, uniquely, I believe, is, is uh, in Jesus' name, is exhibit A, that the Son of God is continuing to do what he, he did, began to do. He, he's still doing what he does. And, and, and it's exhibit A that he's still king. And it's exhibit A that his kingdom has come and it's not left. And it's exhibit A that the dark lord of this world is under notice that his reign has been broken. And uh, one of our folks uh, that weekend had an opportunity to pray for someone, prayed in the name of Jesus Christ, broken bone be healed, broken bone be mended and restored, in Jesus' name be made whole, and it was. The bone was healed. And that kind of experience will change your paradigm. Um, I still remember a week so many years ago. Uh, during my devotions, I had, I, I had this habit of at the end of my devotions of saying, Lord, is there anything else you want me to pray about? And immediately... And if I've told this story before, forgive me, but uh, it, it immediately in my mind's eye, I, I saw this right knee in a brace. And uh, along with this picture in my mind's eye of a right knee in a brace, I had this strong impression that um, I was going to be praying for a right knee in a brace, whatever the condition was, and, and it was going to be healed. Well, that had never happened in my devotions before, uh, that type of experience. Uh, nor had I ever prayed for anybody with that kind of dramatic effect. And, uh, but two days later, to my great surprise, I met someone with a right knee, their right knee, in a brace, just like I'd seen in my mind's eye in my prayer time. And this person had, had fallen, had a severely torn hamstring, was on crutches and in significant and apparent discomfort. But there it was, there it was, the right knee in the brace. And so I asked this, this individual, would you be uncomfortable 
if I ask Jesus to heal you? And they said, no, please pray. And I did. And I had not prayed even 30 seconds when this individual I was praying for stood up, interrupted my prayer, and started walking around the room without the crutches pain-free. Now, I, as an ordained Baptist minister, I had not personally experienced anything like that before. It, uh, it rocked me. Um, but since that night, I have seen seasons and I say seasons, when the Lord's power and manifest presence to heal, seasons have come, seasons have gone. Um, and it was not many years ago, I was, I was serving on the staff of another church here in Sioux Falls. There was a period of about 18 months, um, I tracked it in my journal, there was a period of 18 months when every person that I prayed for was healed. And, and I'm not talking about colds and, you know, sprained ankles. I, I, I saw Jesus cause malignant tumors to completely disappear. I saw Jesus raise a man to strength who was near death because of a heart aneurysm. I saw Jesus answer our prayer to extend the life. That's, that's what he asked for. He just, just, let me, just let me live a little longer. Um, he, God, Jesus extended the life two full years of a man who'd been dying of cancer who had been given two weeks to live. And, and I just saw Jesus continuing to do what he did does and God's sovereign he's the one who's fixed times and seasons for these manifestations of his power and presence and dominion and and so I say there are seasons because there are seasons when it, nothing's happened and I should also say that I've experienced seasons when my expectation level <laughs> of the continuing ministry of Jesus and seasons when my attentiveness to what the spirit of Jesus is doing has, has come and gone, has risen and fallen. You know what this is like. I mean, there are some days when, when there just seems to be so much grace and fullness of joy in the Lord, and I'm just in tune, I'm in step. And then there's other days, and I've said this before, I mean, it truly, literally, really feels like the devil is sitting right on my face. So what does it look like then for the Son of God to continue his ministry today through us by the power of the Holy Spirit? And I believe the answer is a lot like Acts chapter 3. I think just a lot like that. So, so let's just look at this. The, the, the first observation here is is what I would just say is as you go. I, I get that from um, Jesus' words when he says, as you go, as you go, make disciples. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, Peter and John were going. They were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. You don't get the impression here that this was some foray into cold turkey initiative evangelism. You know, they're not out there looking for people to meet and engage and, you know, kind of lay it on them. They're, they're just on their way to a regularly scheduled prayer meeting. It's the hour of prayer. They, they just happen to make eye contact with this lame beggar who says, uh, 
you know, a little, a little help as you go. It's, it's just living life on mission. Second observation is two by two. Remember in Luke 10, Jesus sends his followers out two by two. Two by two is just simply another way of saying Jesus continues his ministry through spiritual community. We're told three times in this account that it was Peter and John going to the temple, about to enter the temple, directing their full attention on this obviously needy individual. I think that's significant. I think it's very significant that they go two by two for at least a couple reasons. First, Peter and John are just doing life together. You know, they could have been going out for coffee, you know. What's some good place in Sioux Falls to get coffee? Let's see. Josiah's. Kidding. Kidding. There's other good places. Or, you know, going out for lunch at Brocco. Or they could have been taking down tree limbs for a neighbor together. Or they could have been on some man trip to Menards. The ministry of Jesus through his people can happen anytime, anywhere, as long as his people are experiencing the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, they're feeling, they're feeling the truth of Jesus deeply, powerfully in their hearts. It's not necessary not necessary to organize special activities or special mission trips. We just live life together on mission. I think there's another reason that two by two is significant. Um, it's, it may be because the draining effect the draining effect of another person's emptiness is less likely to overwhelm two of us than when we're alone. Um, he, he, I'm sure you know what it's like to engage someone who's just, it's like they're just emotionally and spiritually starving to death. There's just this, it, it just sucks at you and um, Luke goes to great lengths to show us a guy who is helpless. I mean, he can't, he can't move without anybody's help. His, all his expectations are centered around receiving from others. His whole life is one big sucking sound. So, and we are all vulnerable to that um, and vulnerable to people who are like that. You just engage with someone like that by yourself and the fullness of the, of the spirit will just, just drain right out of you. So it's best, I believe, it's best to engage with people's emptiness alongside someone together with whom we're experiencing the spirit's fullness. And of course, it goes without saying that missional community provides a clearer and much more poignant display of Jesus and his lay down his life love for one another than does mission done alone. And then there's the significance of how the healing ministry of Jesus reveals, how the healing ministry of Jesus reveals the power and presence of Jesus. So healing. In, in Luke's, first volume, he, he records Jesus' instructions to the 72 that, that when they find receptive people, 
When you find open-hearted people, here's what you do. Luke 10, 9. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. And then in Acts chapter 3, <laughs> Luke is emphatic about drawing our attention to Peter's words. He says, I, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, uh, it, it is a, a frequent mistake uh, we make at times of equating spiritual gifts, or at least certain spiritual gifts, like prophecy or healing, they're with some kind of, a, they're like some kind of merit badge. And, and they're distributed only to the wise and the seasoned and the emotionally and spiritually mature. John, John MacArthur made, I, I think, a really unfortunate comment. He, he said, if these gifts were for today, meaning if, if miraculous gifts such as healing were for today, and the implication is that he was making is that they're obviously not for today. But if they were for today, they would have come to us first. Us meaning people with better theology, greater maturity, piety, to use Peter's terminology. People who have it all together, right? Well, fortunately, or unfortunately, that's not true. That's not true. Jesus said it's possible that some will prophesy, some will cast out demons, some will work miracles, and they don't even belong to him. Peter said you can experience all kinds of spirit-inspired speech and still be unloving and immature. Peter says in Acts 3.12, why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we made him walk? So I, I, I know the temptation is there. Um, when, when I'm feeling far from the Lord or when I've had a you know, bloody argument with my wife or I feel like a, a miserable failure of a Christian and I just want to stay home on Sunday morning, keep my mouth shut, sit in the chicken shed and throw manure all over myself or, you know, quit on Monday. Um, yeah, there's no excuse for unrepentant sin, but, but it is counter to the functional centrality of the gospel when we feel like we somehow have to get ourselves all straightened out before the presence and the power of Jesus are revealed in us and through us. Next, there's a proclamation. The continuing ministry of Jesus is not complete until the truth of Jesus is explained and proclaimed. So both of Peter's sermons find their climax in, in the truth that Jesus was killed on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins, raised from the dead by God as verification. The resurrection is verification that Jesus actually is the Christ and therefore, since he is the Christ, his perfect life and his sin-atoning death are absolutely, completely sufficient to propitiate, satisfy God's wrath and blot out the record of every sin, our every sin, past, present, and future. That has to be explained. People need to know that. And then there's finally an appeal for a response. 
necessary response. I mean, the good news is only good and effectual for those who actually respond. And, and, and Acts 3.19 is it's just simply a paraphrase of Acts 2.38. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. That, that's forgiveness. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, loved ones, Luke means for us, as the people of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, to be fully engaged in the continuing ministry of the Son of God. So we're going to scatter now, together, as we go, to do the works of Jesus and proclaim the words of Jesus. And before we do, uh, we want to take an opportunity now, just as we sing and as we seek the Lord together, to turn to Christ, to turn to Jesus, that our sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. And so, Father, on behalf of my friends here, I ask you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not unwise or unnecessarily repetitive to keep asking. You, you've told us to keep on continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And since the Spirit of God shares the infinite divinity of God, there's always greater measure. There's always more. There's more to be known and experienced of this deep work. So we're asking God that you'd give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fall fresh upon us. And since it's true again that you supply the Spirit and you work miracles among us by hearing your word with faith. Um, we ask you, Jesus, the author of our faith, to strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith. Lord, since we're not saved by works which we do, um, and you are the one who grants repentance, I ask that you would grant repentance. Give that to us. And then just pour out anew this, this gift of your fullness. Work miracles among us. I ask you for spiritual breakthroughs. I ask you to slice through our darkened, tangled 
thoughts. I pray that you would destroy the works of the devil. I pray that you would impart healing, physical healing. I pray that you would impart relational healing. I pray that you would impart emotional healing. I pray, Lord, for, for depressions and dark thoughts and uh, desperate moods to be lifted by the power and the continuing work of the Lord Jesus. I ask, oh God, that you would, you, you would get situations that seem stuck and hopeless and wrapped around the axle unstuck and impart hope again. At every point, any point of hopelessness, would you impart your blessed rule and reign and light and glory and refreshment? I ask this in the name, your great name, Lord Jesus, trusting that you are continuing to do what you do and instruct us and point us to the truth of who you are and to cause us not just to know the truth of who you are, but to feel deeply the truth of who you are so that together we might be witnesses for your glory and for the blessing of our city and the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.